These are them. I swear they get younger every expedition. All have passed the gathering? Yes, sir. Are you sure? But he's a droid. You expect us to learn from a droid? Who said that? Many years I have been on this ship, teaching many a Jedi before you, and I will continue teaching many a Jedi after you. Call me what you want, but inside my memory banks, I contain a record of every lightsaber ever made, and the Jedi who fashioned them. Which will you choose? A simple grip? The curved approach? One inlaid with the bone of the Cartusian whale, Bastilian ore, or black onk? Well? From battles of Rashfond to the peacekeeping of Parliok to our very own Clone Wars, the lightsaber is a Jedi's only true ally. You fought in the Clone Wars? Yes. I was once a Jedi Knight the same as your father. Here we go. I have a bad feeling about this. Follow me, boys! You're not shinies anymore. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Clone Wars Strikes Back. This is the podcast where we go back and celebrate the six-year history of the Emmy Award-winning animated series Star Wars The Clone Wars by discussing each and every episode and episode arc. we got a great show for you this week talking about the Younglings arc from Season 5. This was that arc that maybe, kind of, sort of, probably was possibly a backdoor pilot for a series that never happened, but still brought us a lot of insight into some of the uh the behind the scenes workings of the jedi the jedi way building your lightsaber finding your crystal and all kinds of fun stuff so we'll be getting into that tonight here on the clone war strikes back introductions are in order my name is dominic and joining me as he always does is my good friend and co-host kieran hello dominic hello and again everyone who is listening welcome to the start the clone war strikes back I cannot wait to get involved in discussion with this arc in particular the youngling arc is i think it's one of the the fan favorites actually which is quite a surprising one when you when you consider really the as you said the, the premise behind the younglings arc and really it could have been a spin-off series and people thinking oh maybe this is a bit of too much of a kiddies arc but i think that as a whole, that 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 notion is really dispelled pretty quickly. I think that this arc is one of the all-time greats in the Clone Wars, and I'm really glad that we've got a, a superb recurring guest to discuss it with. Yes, and, and we were able to get him to come back on the show despite the massive technical difficulties the last time he joined us. Uh, he's the host of the Bondcast and, of course, the editor of Star Wars Insider Magazine. Welcome back to the show, Jonathan Wilkins. Oh, hi guys. How are you? It's great to be here. Yeah, it's so excited to have you back and, and so close to, to Star Wars Celebration Anaheim. I know, it's so close. <laughs> I really should be um, kind of finishing the special issue we're doing for the event. But no, I'm here. <laughs> You've dragged me away from my keyboard. I'm here um, and um, discussing one of my absolute favorite um, story arcs, um, in not just in the Clone Wars, but in Star Wars as a whole, I, I think this is um, 
Yeah, absolute classic. So uh, I cannot wait to get stuck in. Yeah, yeah. So let's 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 just jump into it right away, Kieran. Do you have the episode descriptions for us this week? I do indeed, Dominic. And we will begin with the first episode in this four-part arc entitled "The Gathering." Ahsoka escorts a group of younglings to Ilum, where they will learn from Yoda and undergo a crucial rite of passage: the construction of their lightsabers. The second episode in this four-part arc is entitled A Test of Strength. As the younglings return from Ilum with Ahsoka, their ship comes under attack by Hondo's gang of pirates. The children must use ingenious and improvised traps to thwart the brigands. The third episode of this four-part arc is named Bound for Rescue. With Ahsoka captured by Hondo's pirates, the younglings work together to infiltrate the pirates' den, using their wits and courage to deceive Hondo Anaka and launch a daring rescue. And the final episode in this four-part arc is entitled A Necessary Bond. When General Grievous launches a full-scale attack on the pirate pirate base on Florum, Ahsoka and the younglings fight side-by-side with Hondo and his pirates to turn back the Separatist forces. Yeah, these, these are, like you guys have said, these are just some of my favorite episodes as well. They're, they're just so, uh, they're, they're different because they get into some stuff that we've never really gotten into before. And, and that I think is really what makes them so exciting. So let's, let's just start off with our overall impressions of the arc as we always do and see if they, if our impressions have changed really since this, these are, these episodes aired back in, well, I guess it'd be 2012 now. So, so Jonathan, since you're the guest, uh, we'll let you go first, your overall impressions and, uh, have they changed? Um, they've not changed at all. (laughs) Um, I think, (laughs) uh, the, uh, these episodes have a magic to them that is peppered throughout Star Wars. But when it, you know, these, these ones have the, there's, it's a sense of magic and it's a sense of wonder and it's you know, imagine being a little kid watching these episodes imagine you're five years old watching these episodes wouldn't these be the greatest things ever that these yeah. guys are heroes these kids are, and not only are these kids here who is who is their mentor who is looking after it's ahsoka and it's a great storyline for ahsoka who's obviously the, you know Sorry, everyone else, but she is the crucial main character, as far as I'm concerned, in the Clone Wars. She yeah. is that um, pivotal character, who, of course, lots of fans didn't like when she first started, and of course is <laughs> now an absolute fan favourite. Um, yeah. And yeah, absolutely brilliant character, brilliant, brilliant art. You think of when we first met her, and you know she was the the sort of like spiky little kid and. And now she's looking after the little kids and, and sort of teaching them the ways of the force. And it's, yeah, absolute magic. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think it's safe to say that we'll probably agree on that, but I'll, I'll throw it to Kieran for, for your uh, overall impressions of this arc. Completely agree with the sentiments that were expressed by Jonathan there. I think this arc is one of the all-time greats, an iconic arc in the history of the Clone Wars TV series. And I think the main elements which really work effectively in this arc is that sense of a journey, the sense of a story, where you're following these younglings through uh, their progression through Jedi trials, really, as they at first attempt to acquire a lightsaber. And then, of course, that escalates into conflict with the pirates. And even bigger than that, 
confrontation with Grievous and the Separatist Horde. And we really get to delve into the characters and actually focus upon the youngling storyline, following it from their perspective. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that's a little bit different to what we've been used to in the Clone Wars, where we usually go throughout each through different story arcs, focusing on a range of characters and, and not actually just picking necessarily one character and, and actually following their journey through that story arc. Uh, I mean, and some of those special arcs that we can think of when that took place, I think Umbara, when you're looking at Rex, for example, or if you're looking at uh, Ahsoka in a later season five arc, they're some of the all-time greats. And I think that this follows a similar trend where we follow the story of these younglings and how they, they first... First of all, they're novices, they're neophytes, and then by the end, they become these true Jedi warriors. And um, and it's just so fascinating. As I think the great terms that John used there were magic and wonder, and I think that really fits into this particular arc. So for me, initial impressions, they haven't changed. It was great when it first aired. I think, what I could say, is probably even better now when I look back at it in hindsight. So, Dominic, I'll throw the question over to you now. Your yeah. initial impressions and have they amended over time? Yeah, well, I, I can't help but echo what you guys are saying about, about the arc feel like magical in, in a way that, you know, some of the more war-based episodes don't. You know, they're, they're war. There's not as much of a, a space for it as, as in these episodes. In, in these episodes, they really capture um, not only sort of the Jedi experience, but also really, you know, not only as it for kids but even for older viewers can, can even relate to these characters in just the way that they look up to someone like obi-wan kenobi you know there's the whole scene where petro is saying you know he's going to challenge obi-wan kenobi to a duel and when they when they see ahsoka they're so blown away by her and it's much in the same way that you know we've always felt that way about these characters you know when we were younger looking at you know old ben or or, or luke even and and sort of now we're seeing these characters on the show kind of going through that same journey. And, and it really, it, again, it captures just so much of the fun and the mystery and the magic of star Wars. And, and yeah, it's, it's again, for me as well, it's, it's up there in the, the best of the best for this series. I, I can't say enough good things about it, but what I, I want to get into uh, Ahsoka first, because I think it's a really interesting time to be watching and talking about these episodes because we've just seen and a uh, spoiler alert if you haven't watched season one of rebels uh but ahsoka just showed up at the end of at the end of rebels the end of season one of rebels and now she's much more of sort of the mentor character she seems, she seems to be on that show uh, it's you know at least from what we can tell from that one scene with her uh, we, we'll see how things go in season two but in this episode, we really see her coming into her own as as a mentor, and you know she's dealing with these these young Jedi, these little kids, in the same way that she, we can assume, will will work with Ezra, in um, in Rebels season two. Again, that's an assumption. We're working off of one scene at the end of the season one finale. Um, but uh, Kieran, I'll I'll throw this over to you. Um, what did you think of of Ahsoka at, in a sort of a leadership role in these episodes? It was, I think it was fantastic. It really showcases the evolution of Ahsoka's character arc, her journey. And I think that that cycle really, that, that, that journey was really exemplified at the beginning of the gathering in that opening prologue reel where you actually, sh- where the Clone Wars was showcased a seldom flashback prior to the Clone Wars events themselves where Plo Koon has discovered baby Ahsoka Tano on this unforsaken planet and taken her 
to be brought back to the Jedi Temple. And to then see the transformation, really, of her disposition and her position as a Jedi. She's no longer just a little baby Force user, but she's now a Jedi Knight and a mentor to these younglings who really look up to her and feel inspired in awe, really, of her character. And it really does demonstrate how far Ahsoka's character arc has grown since that first, well, for, since she was first introduced to the Clone Wars TV audiences in the Clone Wars movie. And I think it was absolutely fantastic to actually showcase and exhibit to the audience that Ahsoka Tano now has advanced to a level where she is now able to impart her own wisdom and knowledge upon other youngsters who clearly are going through the same trials that Ahsoka went through. Uh, and I think that Ahsoka's role really has just uh, evolved and changed so much that she's already in a space of three years advanced from a Padawan to a Jedi mentor, which, as, as, as Jonathan has said, and I'm sure and you agree as well, Dominic, one of the most iconic characters now in Star Wars, not just Clone Wars, Star Wars period. And it's just to see how her character has developed since then. It's, it's just fantastic and and also in a similar way tragic as to what we'll later see befall her character based upon the relations with the Jedi Order and herself in that season five finale. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and Jonathan, I'll, I'll kind of change things up a little bit for you because I remember when the when these episodes first came out. I, you know, this was before we knew about Ahsoka, you know, leaving the Jedi Order. I remember thinking, you know, she's going on this journey because she's almost being fast tracked towards Jedi knighthood because, you know, she's one, she's working with Anakin. She's going through her training and her trials in, in the middle of the Clone War. So do you think there was perhaps a little bit of, of that going on? And, and again, like, just what did you think of seeing Ahsoka in this leadership role? Well, well, it's fascinating because, of course, she's Anakin's Padawan, mm-hmm. but I can't imagine Anakin being quite so patient with those younglings, <laughs> um, especially when we see what how, how he reacts to the young ladies in Revenge of the Sith, <laughs> um, which, of course, is the bittersweet thing over this thing because you think, well, these little kids, these little Jedi, what happens to them? Um, all the Jedi are killed off, uh, so... Spoiler oh, alert! Yeah. It's, oh, yeah. Sorry, spoiler alert for a, a, for a movie a that came out ten years ago. Well, really, for a movie that came out back in 1977. Yeah. Cause it, cause it really? But um, but hey, if you've not sort of seen it, you really shouldn't. Why are you listening to this podcast? Yeah, really. Um, you should go watch but, it. So, it's, it's good. Yeah, exactly. It's really good. Um. Uh, <laughs> But no, it's great. It's I think, and you know, I, I don't think um, Ashley Eckstein's ever been better than in this episode. Maybe in the last couple of episodes of this season, um, that was the, the the one that trumps this. But it's a it's such a beautiful performance. It's so sort of she's so sweet. She's so kind to these these. Even though the trials are sort of putting them in great danger. <laughs> Um, you know, you kind of think like if they really got into trouble, she'd go and help them, wouldn't she? Wouldn't she? Yeah. Surely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I hope so. Um, <laughs> but, um, yes. Anyway, sorry. What was the first part of the question? Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well I was thinking that, that, you know, cause I, I remember we have to keep in mind that 
even though we know what happens to her, the characters in this story arc aren't aren't aware of, of what happens, you know, oh, yes, eight yes, episodes yes. from now. Um, and and they and there seemed to me that maybe Ahsoka was perhaps being fast tracked because we have to keep in mind that she's only like sixteen. I get yeah. the impression that most Jedi are Padawans for a, a, a long time for for maybe maybe a decade before they actually reach knighthood and yeah. you know here she is she's been a padawan for two years and all of a sudden all of a sudden she's in this massive leadership role um being uh being in charge of all these little younglings on probably what's possibly the most one of the most important aspects of their jedi training did it seem to you perhaps that maybe she was being fast-tracked towards actually being a knight yes um it it seems that way I mean, with the Jedi sort of being sort of kind of killed off really during the Clone Wars and the, the plenty of casualties, I'm guessing that they need more um, officers, if you like, as opposed to, mm-hmm. to sort of the Padawans. Um, and there's also at this point as well from sort of looking on, can you remember like nobody knew what the end of the show would be right or how, but there was always that thing of well she's going to get killed she's going <laughs> to die that's going to be so my my view not knowing what was going to happen was that oh wow they're going to set her up she'll make it to the thing but there'll be a tragic twist and they're, they're gonna kill her off and i was i was kind of stealing myself for that <laughs> yeah yeah, and instead yeah. you just had to watch her walk away from the Jedi Temple, which is almost, almost more heartbreaking. And and it's also, it's well, it, yeah, it's it's more heartbreaking because don't forget at that point, as far as we knew, that was it for us. Over yeah, it was like Star Wars Rebels. There was it it was announced, but there was no indication she was coming back. And mm-hmm. I remember, I remember seeing Ashley at, um, uh, celebration Europe. And I said, Oh, you know, really sad to see, you know, I thought it was a great story on, but it's really sad to see you go. And she said, Oh, and she shrugged and she said, well, there's always star Wars rebels. You know, that's <laughs> and I was like, yeah, but it won't be as good with, without you. And she, she kind of just, you know, carried on selling t-shirts at that point. And, uh, and I, I was kind of like, really, felt really sad. And of course she knew, she yeah. knew these people behind the Clone Wars, like Dave Filoni and Ashley and Coa and so on. They know what's coming. And it's like, Oh, you were toying with me. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, no, it's a very sad, but yeah, the whole relationship with the paddle. And wouldn't that have been, you know, I, I have no idea if it was mooted as a spin off or if what would have happened, um, because obviously the reaction was very good, but mm. you know, ha- had they chosen to go with it, but I, d- I do think that that would have been a hell of a show. Ahsoka and the Padawans and and, uh, and the younglings and her sort of teaching them, and they, all sorts of things could have happened. And of course, they're so cute as well. Yeah, I mean the the Wookie, the Wookie, the Wookie. Oh, and do you know what? Do you know what I realised when I was doing like looking back on these episodes? Correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm no expert on these things. I don't think they ever did toys of them. No, I, I don't think so. Why not? I, Why they do everything else? Yeah. No toys. There's an Aunt Beru action figure, but they, I, mean, I mean, obviously more women in Star Wars, great. But well, you can get you can do Katuni and 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 oh yeah yeah. It's, it's, Why have they not done a collector's pack of them? Or, you know, or cuddly toys? Come on, they're great. Yeah, yeah. So I, I would I think buy it, all maybe, the Gungies. It would be you know. yeah. 
Yeah, and all their little distinctive lightsabers and all that stuff. Oh, come on. But I guess it fell victim of the fact that the show came to an end mm. and and things moved on. But huge opportunity there. Surely Hasbro or somebody, somebody. could... Oh, I think I'd go out and buy them instantly. Yeah, yeah. Coulda, coulda, yeah. coulda shoulda, woulda. Come on, come on, Hasbro. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but... Yeah. Yeah, you, you know, you mentioned the the whole idea of this possibly being a spinoff, and I I like these episodes, uh, partially because they do kind of give us into a little bit of a look into sort of the the road not taken with Lucasfilm, you know, because they they seem like they were produced at a time uh, long before the Disney uh, Disney deal was ever even really in play, and and this sort of falls into. The idea of sort of this younglings uh, TV show kind of falls into the same category as as that that live action series that that never happened, where it's like there were people thinking about it behind the scenes, and this could have been, you know, it could have been, you know, we could be sitting here in 2015 not looking ahead at, at Star Wars Episode Seven directed by J.J. Abrams, and instead looking at looking ahead at season two of of Young Jedi featuring these characters, and season four of of whatever the live action series would have been. And, and it's sort of an interesting kind of look at the road not taken. Um, but you know, I, one of our listeners, uh, a gentleman named Andrew sent us uh, an email with the whole, uh, rundown of sort of proof that this was definitely going to be a, a, a spinoff series right down to a, a post by the, uh, one of the concept artists on the show, Russell Chong, who, uh, who posted a picture of the ship and, and said that, uh, George wanted to do a spinoff, uh, Clone Wars series with the Jedi Lings, uh, trekking around in this ship. Alas, it was not to be. Uh, and then he, you know, and then our, our listener also sent us a, a quote from Dave Filoni where he suggested that, you know, when they were developing Rebels, one of the ideas that they had would have been, uh, Padawans on the run during the, uh, you know, the post, uh, hmm. post, uh, Order 66 era. And, you know, it, it kind of raises the question, do you think you know, did the, did these younglings meet their uh, tragic end, or do you think there's a possibility that that you know the fans love them enough that they would uh, that they could <laughs> pop up somewhere else? Maybe Hondo save Katuni. I'll, I'll throw it to you, Kieran, because you, 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 I don't want to put Jonathan in a place where he has to speculate on something you may know something about. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I definitely think that Katuni has got the most likelihood that the, the the credence there to survive this and collaborate and uh, collude with hondo anaka and and his gang of pirates based really upon the the final shot at the end between those two characters when you could see that the, there was something going on i reckon that that well, at least at least there was justification enough to form a whole new series based on that one <laughs> little clip but the, the, i i think the what these younglings showcase were talents, not just at being, I guess, exceptional, talented, exceptionally talented force users, but actually being quite pragmatic and, and, and having that know-how to really fit into a situation where there clearly was a highly perilous and dangerous assignment at work here where Ahsoka had been captured and the younglings decide to launch their own campaign to to liberate her from the pirates' stronghold, and they they showed their pragmatic and uh, uh, nature, I think, in being able to actually, uh, I guess, become accustomed to those situations and adapt to them. 
being able to join that circus group and as a result that really propelled them and and facilitated them actually liberating Ahsoka from the clutches of Hondo Anaka. And I think that know-how, it it reminded me of what we see in Star Wars Rebels with Ezra and Kane, Mm -hmm. that they may follow the Jedi ways and the Jedi rules, but they tweak them to sometimes fit their own philosophy. And I think that know-how is necessary if you want to be a Jedi and survive in the time of the Galactic Empire. Those who will stick rigidly to their principles will would ultimately fall. And the difference, I would say, between Obi-Wan and Yoda is that they their, their task is something new and different. That's not necessarily following the old, old Jedi ways and old traditions. They're actually looking to propel themselves onto a new path so really it's those who stay within the rigid system of the jedi philosophy and order of the time of the clone wars and the old republic are the ones that would ultimately fall and i don't think that these younglings in particular fall into that category which for my mind vindicates the assumption presumption that they may well survive past order 66 i'd be interested to hear what your guys take well is on this idea I, I really like what you said about the way they were able to fit in with the circus i that, that all of a sudden that that sort of clicked in my mind as something that like okay these these kids are good at thinking on their feet they can get out of out of these situations and ultimately i think if they are to have survived order 66 it would have been because they were not at the Jedi Temple. I think if they were not at the Jedi Temple, if they were off on some kind of training exercise, then I could see, especially this particular group, who, as we heard from from uh, the the droid Huang, uh, is among the finest younglings he's ever trained. You know, there's it does seem like if they were just were were fortunate enough not to be at, at the temple when Order sixty six was called, then there's the possibility that they could still be out there and and i i would love it if if one or, or two or or all six of them were able to make it out uh make it out of out of the clone wars alive and and could show up somewhere else or you know get their own series or or who knows what but uh yeah it's you know it, it's hard to you know that was the thing about this possibly being its own tv series is it, it, it's ultimately it's it's going towards the end it's going towards order 66 the death of all the jedi and how do you do that with a bunch of eight-year-olds and it's it, it's pretty uh you know it's pretty grim so i i don't know about well, jonathan do you, have, do you have any thoughts on if these these guys could have survived order 66 uh, yeah i do yeah absolutely a very well-reasoned argument there but i um i it, as much as it breaks my heart, I yeah. think they're. I don't think they made it. Yeah. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, because no. the thing is, <laughs> you you get to the stage where it it it's cool that there are some Jedi that slip through the net, and they. But then you start to think, well, mm. you can't have too many Jedi's yeah. go past that point because then it, the Jedi, didn't all die in yeah. Order sixty six, and there's there seems to be loads of them running around. Re, you know, regardless of. You know, we, regardless of um, their sort of uh, status, whether they're <laughs> they're hiding or whatever, they're still Jedi. So the the, the Emperor would fall, would be able to sense them and uh, and send Vader or an Inquisitor out to get them. But so yeah, I I think you know, and you know, it, 
Star Wars, a lot, you know, as with all sort of drama, for the for the goodies to triumph, they must face the baddies, and the baddies have to do evil things. They have to do really despicable evil things, and you know, killing the the younglings is it's horrifying, and they're lovely characters, and they're all so cute, and they're so <laughs> so on. Um, but yeah, no, I think they're dead. Yeah. I'm, sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm just really, really sorry. <laughs> I've tried to make it not quite as grim as that, but yeah, I, I don't think they ever would have made it. All the children. Well, just, are just dead. to jump in there, I I think that what I'd like to define really is the notion of a Jedi in the Galactic Empire, because ultimately the way that we would define a Jedi in the Clone Wars is distinct to how. I would say a Jedi is defined later on in the series because they, they they take on different characteristics and there are different expectations there. I always find that line, the Yoda line to Luke, you're the last of the Jedi you will be. How does one actually interpret that? I mean, in terms of the last of the Jedi, which is following the pathway of, Luke, of Yoda and Obi-Wan Kenobi, perhaps so. But would one say that Kanan necessarily was the Jedi in the same way prior to the events of Star Wars Rebels? And I think if, the, if these children were to fit into r- rural and uh, the galactic, basically the societies, uh, different societies around the galaxy, perhaps they could slip through the clutches of the Empire if they're able to adapt and I think that's the key point there. It doesn't mean that they're going to have to be sitting in a sacred Jedi temple. I mean, if they do that, then of course they're going to be killed off. <laughs> I think it was case in point in, on Lafal when you see those dead Jedi corpses. And I'm pretty sure that uh, the ones that we see, for, exa- for example, on a Deveron system, I'm sure they were targeted first outside yeah. of the Jedi Temple on Coruscant because that's the homing beacon for where the Jedi would be. But if there are other children like these younglings who have grown up and fit into society, whether it's working for some sort of business or being part of the Hutts culture, I don't know. I think there could be some way to get around it if you wanted to justify it. But I also I, I agree with your sentiments, John, that we can't, John Fedor, we can't actually undermine and, and, and diminish the fact that uh, if Obi-Wan and Yoda are, and then Kanan and then we've got all of these other younglings are still around, then it, it, it doesn't have the same impact on a, a, an audience, the fact that there are only so few Jedi left. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I agree. I, I mean, I, I, I often, when reading the old Legends verse, found that they did tend to preserve one too many Jedi uh, from, from, the, from the Clone Wars. But then again... Uh, you know, if they had to preserve any Jedi, I'd like it for these, it to be these guys. And, you know, truly, truly wonderful. The mind of a child is maybe, maybe they could have figured something out, out that, uh, you know, the, uh, more, uh, that they less, they less, uh, or the more, uh, what's the term I'm looking for? Some of the older Jedi couldn't, you know, like the Luminar on Dooley's of the world wouldn't have been able to figure out. But then again, you know, I, I agree that, yeah, you do have to have bad guys doing bad things in order for, it to to all all makes sense dramatically. So, yeah, they're probably dead. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but let, let's talk about the uh, the the process of of the gathering and and, and building a lightsaber. Um, I, I really I really love this. You know, we we've seen the deleted scene from Return of the Jedi. You know, Luke with his screwdriver in, in that cave, uh, building the uh, building the lightsaber. I I really love this version of it where they go on this really spiritual journey to find these these crystals where they're challenged in, in ways that are unique to all of them. And and I remember thinking when the Gathering episode first came out that like 
this may be one of the first times in Star Wars where we've had the Force kind of being almost a bit of a character in the episodes. Because, you know, usually it's the Force guides us, the Force surrounds us and penetrates us, holds the galaxy together. So it's always, it's ever present in Star Wars. But in, in this episode, especially in The Gathering, it's like it's messing with the kids. It, it's showing them, you know, their, their where their lightsaber crystal is. And, you know, it, they each have a unique challenge, much in the same way that, that Luke has to face Vader on the cave on Dagobah. It's sort of, you know, the Force is giving them a direct challenge and sort of showing them what they need to overcome. And, and we see that, you know, with, with Biff and he's facing off against the uh, that bizarre monster-shaped cave or um, uh, my favorite was uh, uh, Gennody who's like, I can't find a crystal! Where are the crystals? And then, then you know, she falls through the floor and then all she can see is crystals. <laughs> that was that was my favorite bit. So I'll, I'll throw this over to you, Jonathan. Uh, just just your thoughts on uh, on the lightsaber process and the gathering in general. Yeah, it's, it, it's sort of... Um... I mean the whole process with the finding of the crystals and stuff. It 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 does something that it, where Star Wars is at its best is where there is that combination of magic and technology, mm-hmm. and it's the crystal is the magic and the technology is the rest of the saber and the you know the science does whatever it does to the crystal <laughs> and amplifies the such and such such. Um, and it's just, it's so beautifully done. You know, it, again, it's, it's something, there's something magical about it. And, uh, you know, I love the deleted scene of Luke with his little screwdriver doing the lightsaber. <laughs> you know, he obviously needs to practice with the force a bit to do it all <laughs> with his mind, you know, but, um, <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's, it's such a great sort of, and the idea that the crystal chooses the, you know, chooses the Jedi and, um, speaks to them and all that stuff. Again, it's, it's all sort of, um it's it's all kind of steep it's steep more in magic than science which is you know as it should be in star wars mm-hmm. um no i i absolutely yeah no i absolutely adore that whole sequence yeah yeah and karen what were your thoughts on on that yeah the the conceptualization of a, of a lightsaber and now that process really develops i think was something which hasn't really been touched upon um, in Star Wars history, it's re- re- really, it's been it's been briefly looked at, but not as in depth as what we see in these particular episodes. And um, I mean, the idea of the Kyber crystals powering lightsabers, of course, that was you know, rooted back in the early drafts of Star Wars, the, the films themselves, um, and obviously they serve to augment, amplify the power of the Force. But to actually see it being put on screen and, and people having to or the, the Jedi younglings having to search for these lightsaber crystals and the challenges, the trials that before them, something that's not really been explored before. And I mean, the nature and the tone of, of these, of, of that particular episode, the gathering really mirrors what we see in star Wars rebels, a path, path of the Jedi episode and also echoes of Luke in the Dagobah cave, just that sense of magic and mystery that really can't be, explained rationally or logically as jonathan you said there the combination really of magic and technology and this is certainly the magic component of the star wars universe and i think that's really fascinating to actually explore and consider particularly with these characters the idea of them having to search for their lightsaber crystals and that actually it would become colorless 
until the Jedi holds it and acquires it as it became attuned to the Force user. Mm-hmm. And again, that's something that hadn't really been openly and, and explicitly expressed to the audience. So I, I, I actually think that The Gathering, there's so much good stuff in there in terms of looking at the magical side, similar to Mortis, actually. And I've got a point to raise about Mortis, but I'll, I'll come on that in a little bit. Um, Dominic, I'll, I'll throw it over to you first. What did you make of the conceptualization and of the of the how the lightsaber was built and how you find the lightsaber crystals well yeah i I think you guys said it best you know with the with the with magic and technology but really more magic than technology and and i really think that was best um best shown with the character of of zat the the nautilin um because you know his story uh his way of finding the crystal really it, it really reminded me of uh, of Luke Skywalker destroying the Death Star, you know, he was he was totally relying on his technology, and it was only when he was able to sort of put the technology down. Because like the whole time beforehand, you know, even when they first see Yoda in that that cave, um, he's there beeping away on his thing. I don't know if he's if he's tweeting or something. Like I just saw Yoda <laughs> hashtag the Gathering. You know, it's it's sort of something like that. And then he's you know he's in there and he's trying to use it to find it. I guess he's and it's only when he puts it down is he able to to get to see the crystal but then he still has to use the technology to actually get to the crystal and and it was very much in the same way that you know luke turned off his his targeting computer and uh but he still needed you know the proton torpedoes and the x-wing to actually blow up the death star and i I thought that was a really nice sort of touch as a way to go and and i love that each little youngling had their own their own personalized uh experience you know katuni was the climbing up the up the cave face and, and petro was he had to sort of overcome his uh his selfishness and and, uh, and gunji gunji just had to sit there and wait i love that <laughs> he's you know you have the wookie you know one of the strongest creatures in the galaxy and and what does he have to do he has to just sit there and, and wait for the ice to freeze and then uh, you know go slip sliding across it until he gets to uh gets to his his uh his crystal and, and yeah it was just it was such so well done it was such a a neat look into what it is like to, to be a Jedi, to what it takes to, to go on these journeys. And, and it really explored things. And then in the show, I loved it when the show would get into things like the force or, or, you know, being a Jedi with, with episodes like these or with, with Mortis or, or the Yoda, the Yoda uh, arc that ended the series would really, you know, get into, uh, you know, the bigger issues of the Star Wars galaxy. You know, it's fun to have droids and, and clones shooting at each other or, or Mandos going up against, <laughs> uh, who knows what and, and just going up against each other, really. And, and that, that's all fun. But this, these episodes really took, took the time to show us something we had never seen before and, uh, really expanded our sense of what it takes to, or, or what it is to be a Jedi and, and what all that means in the Star Wars galaxy. Uh, but Karen, I'll throw it over to you. Did you want to bring up something about Mortis? Yeah, just a quick a quick point to touch upon, which I had a, a brief look at the trivia for this episode because it was was quite fascinating to, as I said, really examine the magical elements and or, and and the Jedi philosophy and how that's been put into practice in the episode. But it, it, it touched upon the fact that displayed. At the entrance of the Ilan t- Temple were these statues and, and symbols which really exhibited the balance of the light and dark side and were initially borne witness to in, in the realm of Mortis. And it always intrigues me 
to actually decode what exactly is the relation between Mortis and the realm of the galaxy. And I I remember having a, well, we discussed this with with Chris um, on on, um, a few times on on, on this particular show, Uh, Chris Siegel, that is. And he mentioned about the, I I could be making this term up now, sort of an osmosis process where... um, I don't know if it's osmosis, actually. It sounds like a science term. I think I just made that up. But anyway, <laughs> where it seems that both realms can affect each other. Uh, the idea that, uh, that what happens in Mortis can affect what happens in this galaxy the same way that in the galaxy of where our heroes and villains lie can affect what happens on Mortis. So I, I just thought it was interesting to see these statues and symbols which are reminiscent of of that realm and the fact that it was really pointed out to as well in the trivia guide I, I just wondered whether you guys had any speculation as to what exactly those symbols denote and, and, and what that says about the relationship between the realm of uh, where our heroes and, 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 and villains lie compared to the dominion of mortis yeah to me i, I took those as, as being uh, just a sign of how ancient this place is and how important it is to the jedi just based on the fact that it's so old because the mortis beings um they they were they were ancient beings they had been around for a a long time and i imagine that those symbols are perhaps a a a symbols of an of the ancient jedi order um that you know existed thousands and thousands of years ago and eventually you know turned into what we see in the in the prequels and the clone wars that kind of lost its way and and i think that that symbol is you know just kind of a a historical symbol that relates back to a time before before yoda before any of the jedi we know now before maybe even before the republic where this was you know that was the symbol of the the light side users and you know just goes to show how important and how how old this place is and that the, the gathering takes place and how it's so in, so uh, connected to the history of, of, if not the Jedi, then the light side of the Force. Um, uh, that's what I think. Uh, Jonathan, do you have any thoughts on that? No, I think you've just said it brilliantly. Oh, Absolutely. Okay. Um, yeah, it's very, it's very much, you know, it, it's an ancient, this ancient mysterious place and that's, you know, who who knew, who knows sort of, what you know had there been previous jedi that had um sort of been into the realm of mortis have have, you know uh, i don't think they say they haven't i don't think they you know they they imply that you know anakin and um ahsoka and obi-wan were the first Mm -hmm. so yeah so i I think it is you know it's almost a shorthand for you know this place is a is serious and you know this this is this is this place has been there forever. You know? Yeah. Um, but I think the other thing that's very interesting as well about this, the whole thing with the gathering is, you know, the lightsaber is one of the coolest weapons and it's the weapon of a Jedi. And so there has to be a, a, a path that only a Jedi can go down to get a lightsaber. Yeah. Cause otherwise, you know, you don't see other, other sort of beings in the Star Wars universe using lightsabers. You know, you, you, it's the, it's the Jedi and that's it. And it's very rare to see anyone else using a lightsaber who isn't a Jedi. I think it's General Grievous and Han Solo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 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 
is one of the few um, you got to use uh, yeah, two, two, two seconds yeah, I, there. I <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, well, it's, it's interesting because, uh, as we mentioned, all of us have talked about the fact that these crystals, when they're held by a Jedi, they become attuned to that Force user. And it, it does demonstrate through this episode why the likes of... You know, Cad Bane, when when he had that lightsaber, uh, when he took Quinlan Voss's lightsaber, fought against Obi Wan. He lasted two seconds. Again, pre Vizsla, although he has that dark saber blade and is a very skilled sword wielder, he's no match against a Jedi. He he he, he cannot last for more than a couple of minutes. And I, it, it does demonstrate how these lightsabers become so attuned to the Force user. And as you've rightly said there, Jonathan, you have to have this that skill and talent, but you also need to have the sacred tires. And the only way you can do that is by going through a process like this. And it, and it is why you don't see many other beings wielding those weapons. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a, uh, like, yeah, it, I think that's a really good point that it, it's so, so personal to the Jedi that you can't, you know, unless you've basically built your own lightsaber, and you know, gone through the process of training. That as soon as you pick one up, I mean, you're more likely to to cut your own head off than uh, <laughs> than to, uh, to than to actually kill a Jedi. You know, it's it's it, you know, it goes back to you know in Episode One, Anakin you know sees Qui Gon's lightsaber and knows right away he's a Jedi. And you know, Qui Gon says, you know, maybe I killed a Jedi and took his weapon. That was more of an old Ben voice, but uh, anyways, he, you know, uh, uh, Anakin's like nobody can kill a Jedi, and so there's sort of that sense that you know this this weapon is so powerful and everybody knows it and it, it symbolizes something so much greater and that's why it's it's almost you know the only times we ever see other characters using them it's for very short periods with the exception of grievous and grievous just is only able to hold his own because he uses four of them <laughs> he just kind of hacks and slashes with them and you know there's no real skill to it he's just trying to overwhelm you and and uh yeah it's it's a good point about the about the lightsabers well, the final point I just want to raise about the lightsabers, which I think is quite key to mention as well, is to, to amplify the notion of this personal aspect. Because we can recall a line in episode two when Obi-Wan says to Anakin, this yeah, lightsaber is your life. Point. I mean, look how personal that is, that this is a part of you. This is what make, this is part of your makeup as a Jedi. We went through that whole episode as well with Ahsoka, lightsaber yeah. lost, when she went on the hunt for about, you know, it, it was a 20 minute episode, but of course it was longer than 20 minutes in real time <laughs> when she had to go and chase down that, uh, that hunt, one of those bounty hunters. And again, once she, once that bounty hunter tried to wield the lightsaber, take him down by, uh, Terra Sanube within seconds. And it does demonstrate that this lightsaber is so personal to these children, to the younglings, that they become attuned to it. It's really a part, a key component of their makeup as to what makes a Jedi. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And speaking of building lightsabers, I think we have to talk about the droid, uh, Professor Huang, uh, voiced brilliantly by, by David Tennant and sort of really to, to me is sort of a combination of if, if the doctor and, uh, Mr. Ollivander from Harry Potter merged and became a droid, this is kind of what he would be. And, and, and uh, you know, we've talked a little bit about, uh, spinoff series and, and all that. I want a spinoff series about this guy. I want, it could almost be like, 
like this is a ridiculous comparison to make, but it could almost be like Black Adder, where you know every season is a different era and a different group of younglings that he's going with, and I I think that would be a lot of fun. I think we could see a lot of interesting things and and uh, but yeah, it's it was really cool to see one of these characters that's so connected. He's almost like, I mean, he's older than Yoda. He he knew Yoda when Yoda was a youngling. And uh, well, well, Jonathan, I'll throw it to you. What, what did you think of uh, of old Professor Huang? Oh boy. Just when you think it can't get any better, who turns up? <laughs> Doctor Who. Yeah, exactly. Fantastic. Emmy award-winning performance, yes. by the way. Yes. Um, rightfully so. Um, he's like a cool C-3PO, isn't he? Yeah. He's, he, I, mean, I mean, everyone loves 3PO, but sure. would you take him on a mission in space? I don't think so. No. You take this guy. He's so much cooler. <laughs> um, no, I absolutely love him. And, hey, this is an absolutely true story. Um I inter- about a year and a half before this episode aired, I was lucky enough to interview Dave Filoni. And, and whenever I interview Dave Filoni, half the conversation is Clone Wars. The rest of it will be about Doctor Who because oh. he is a huge Doctor Who fan. Nice. Um, and more importantly, his wife is a huge David Tennant fan, <laughs> um, yeah. as most wives and girlfriends are, actually. <laughs> uh, and um, I, I, I'd seen a picture of David Tennant wearing a Stormtrooper T-shirt at some event. And I said, oh, you know, you know, David Tennant is a huge Doctor, uh, is a huge Star Wars fan. And he's, oh, that's interesting. We kind of put a little thing in the magazine about it. Year and a half later, <laughs> he's D- Doctor Who is in Star Wars. The worlds have collided. Now, I asked Dave about this after I said, it's, it, it's, I, it, it wasn't me that said, and he said, well, we do work a long way in advance on these things. So who's to say we hadn't already cast it when you mentioned it? And I was like, oh, come on. Ah. So, um, yeah, it's heartbreaking. Um, so like you, I can, yeah. I can keep a secret. You could have told me that. I wouldn't I know, have told don't anybody. Broadcast this. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, he's a, look, it's amazing. And it makes so much sense that you'd have this, this, you know, droid who, and the, you know, the way he moves, the way he opens those drawers and, you know, uh, um, you know, little arms come out and things. Ah, <laughs> oh, brilliant. Just what a character, what a brilliant character. And in the fine tradition of star Wars, you bring in a brilliant character. They appear once or twice and you never see him again. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and do you know what? That is brilliant because you mm. don't destroy the mystique of the character. Yeah. You, you, we don't get to see, you know, not a bad episode, but we don't get to just have the chance to get bored of him or mm-hmm. think, oh, it's this guy again. He's brilliant, but oh, yeah. he, he's in it and he's gone. And again, I don't think there's a toy. Yeah. Why have they not done? I, I never thought I'd say this about Star Wars. Like, why aren't there more toys? <laughs> why, why aren't there figures of these guys? Uh, yeah, he's a oh come on, he'd be great. I'd love to have a yeah. a, a you know a, a sideshow collectible figure. Oh, this yeah. guy with all the lightsaber bits and or you know a Kotobuki or some one of those guys, um, yeah. you know, doing a, an action a, a toy of this guy or even Hasbro or just anyone, just anyone. But take I a Lego think. minifigure, it'd be great. Yeah, just anything, it'd be amazing. Because um, yeah, he 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 is a great character. Um. And I love the way that the the younglings they don't really respect him at first. Yeah. Oh, it's a droid! What the you know? <laughs> and then they just have this lovely bomb that gradually forms. Um, 
and, and you know, and you feel safe when he's around. He's, yeah. he's, it's kind of strange. He's, he's sort of, he's so wise. Um, and he has, a, he has, the way he speaks is beautiful. He's got, he, you know, it's, it's, again, it's a typical Star Wars thing. You've got a robot who sounds old. How does that work? <laughs> Why would it? That's just, yeah, it's surely not. But it does. It does. It's lovely. And yeah. it's re- it's a really reassuring voice. Yeah. It's it's beautifully it's He's beautifully, the beautifully done. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the, yeah, but the thing is it's the doctor, but he doesn't sound like the yeah. you know, it was yeah, a, yeah. you wouldn't necessarily oh yeah, it's not um yeah, love it. I, I can't say enough great things about him. Yeah, love yeah, him absolutely. And and you mentioned he's a he's kind of a cooler C three PO and, and this may be uh, sacrilege to say, but on the Clone Wars, the Clone Wars kind of like him and R2 better than I like 3PO and R2. <gasps> yeah, I know, Whoa. I know, it's such, a, it's such a horrible thing to say, but of all of the things the Clone Wars got so right, I just never felt they captured 3PO's voice. And so, and, and I feel they captured the, that kind of relationship better with, with Huang and R2 than 3PO and R2. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. Such a phenomenal character and, uh, and, and yeah, so much good mystery to it. Great voice. Uh, Kieran, I'll throw it over to you for, for your thoughts on, on Professor Huang. Uh, I can't add too much to this because I think both of you have raised exceptional points on this matter. David Tennant's voice performance, absolutely outstanding and, and well worthy of that Emmy award. I think it was uh, an incredible performance. Uh, you just look at the, the, the type of, of get special guests and, and stars, cast members that, that the Clone Wars, Clone Wars team have managed to get on this show, and it's just quite incredible. You look down the list yeah. when you have David Tennant and Liam Neeson. Uh, I mean, I mean, we're talking about Hollywood actors here, really. Uh, I mean, okay, David John Tennant Favre. maybe not so much in Hollywood, but still, you know, they're huge, huge names, they're iconic names, and yeah. and they and they knock it out the park as well, which is the important point. I mean, it's all well and good getting the name, but can they deliver it? On, on the day, can they put in that performance which is necessary in a Star Wars TV series to make it sound as authentic as, as you know, as, as if you are a part of that of that universe? And and they pull it out, pull it out of the bag, really. Professor uh, uh, Professor Yang, what a character! As you've aptly said, there, Dominic, a great combination of uh, Ollivander from Harry Potter and of course the Doctor himself, and it just worked so so well. I, I was also going to highlight that point that you said about Dominic about the interaction between him and R2 and it really really did work there was that that comedy value which I think was really missing and in fairness it doesn't help when you're putting say C3PO and R2D2 on a hunt for a fruitcake I don't think that's the most <laughs> riveting of storylines I've ever ever witnessed in my life but you know maybe that's maybe that's just me being a little bit harsh um, I think that the interaction between R2 and Hu Yang, particularly in that last episode, you know, when they're, when they're moaning about General Grievous, get him off, get him off. And I won't say the whole quote, but just, just those lines there, which really reminded me of C3PO and R2D2 and Empire Strikes Back when they're on the chase from the stormtroopers on Bespin and he's like, open the door, come on, come on. And then eventually he says, oh, I, you know, he opens the door. I had faith in you all the time, R2. I had faith all the time. <laughs> and it's just that type of banter that we've really missed between those characters. 
And I think another reference I could put into this that Professor Huang might reminded me of was actually the Black Knight in Monty Python and the Holy Grail, if anyone's seen that film. <laughs> Particularly in the uh, Test of Strength episode when he's fighting that pirate, arms and legs are nearly all off, and he still manages to best him. I thought that was uh, a great little <laughs> nod there, even if it was oh, it may, it may well have been unintentional, but that was the first thing that propped, in, propped into my mind. Overall, though, Professor Huang, what a character. And again, just added so much to make this arc really, really special, uh, a special arc in the, in the history of Star Wars period. Yeah, yeah, no, and and not only is is it a great arc, I would put the episode A Test of Strength up as as possibly my favorite from the entire series. I think it's it just the way it captured so much fun, danger, and the the mystical aspect of 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 the Force and the lightsaber and all that. Really, to me, really made it something special I, I don't know if i can if, if it would be absolute favorite but it's it's you know top five because it, it's really up there and the other thing i want to say is I, I was really glad to see that they uh they were able to to get david Tennant for two episodes to do huang because i i remember watching this the third episode from from this arc and thinking oh is this one of those things where they got him for one episode and then they couldn't get him for another one so the droid is going to be mute for the rest of the, <laughs> the rest of the arc then and fortunately he, he spoke again in the fourth episode like okay good Okay, don't need to worry about it. It's just just a one-off thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, let's let's talk a little bit about Hondo in these episodes because Hondo, such a great character, such a, a hilarious character. Um, but in these episodes, we also get to see him as as much more of a dangerous character, you know, in a way that we haven't since really since season one or I guess season two in, in the, uh, the bounty hunters episode. But, you know, we, sometimes when we think of, of Hondo, we tend to think of him in, in more of the, the way we saw in the Onderon arc or when we'll see him in revival where he's a bit more on the good side. Uh, but in this episode, we really, really saw him embracing his, his evil, evil side. So, so Kieran, what was, what was your take on, on Hondo in these episodes and his, and his willingness to, to go after the kids, do you think he would have actually let his men kill the the Jedi younglings? Absolutely, absolutely, and it's that's pain to me to say it, but I think it's true. Think of it: Hondo and Arca is the Han Solo of the Clone Wars, and not to say that Han Solo would have done exactly the same things as Hondo would be prepared to do, sure. but that sense of him being this uh, this gray character really and, and 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 his main objective throughout the clone wars series has ultimately been monetary financial materialistic gain whether it would be vehicles whether it would be money he wants something in return and so i mean he he states that explicitly as much doesn't he when all of these crew are saying oh i thought you weren't going to mess with jedi or oh they're just kids and he's like, well, no, my mood is for kyber crystals today, you know, in the sense that I want these kyber crystals and by any means necessary. So if it means that we have to end up killing them and taking them from them that way as a result, then so be it. And it's all about the, the financial gain for him, that, that, that financial side. And a lot of people did ask questions in that final episode as to why, you know, Hondo had been so vicious and snideful towards these kids, wanting to, you know, he's captured Ahsoka and, you know, kind of taunting her and, and, and torturing her in a way, you know, offering her a drink and then taking it from her. And she's captured and, and like, in that force bite. I don't, I don't really want you to call it, but that, that type of cage thing. Um, and I think that really the way to justify his changing attitude towards the end of this arc is, again, that overriding 
materialistic gain really is what is driving him as a character the fact that okay part of it is necessity because i need to get rid of grievous and his hordes but if i save the jedi as well then they're gonna offer me some money that's what he says to obi-wan you know send me the bill that's what he says at the end send me the bill and that's what he wants at the end of the day and i think that that that's a really the, the best way i would justify hondo's seemingly drastic change in attitude from what we've seen in revival and and in the Onderan arc as well, uh, it, really t- it really took us these episodes to remind us of the fact that Hondo is still a pirate, he's a brigand, and ultimately he just wants to accumulate as much precious wealth as as he can do. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, yeah, he's definitely that character. He's, he's flip-flopping and... and- they they've pointed this out that in the uh that this is madness the march madness thing that starwars.com does every year they they put him on a different side so this year i think he's on the dark side last year he was on the light side and the year before that he was on the dark side so he's kind of that character that nobody knows what side he's ever really on but uh but jonathan what did you think of of hondo in in these episodes he's a tough guy isn't he wow (laughs) he's um yeah he's he's very brutal um and again, you know, you, you know, for, for heroes to, you know, for strong heroes, you need strong villains. There's, there's no question, and you have to believe um, when you're watching the show um, that things could turn out very badly. And it, it's, you know, I mean, I, if I wasn't sort of such a, 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 a diehard fan of this show, I would really think like this could be it for Ahsoka. This could be like she's. She's she's done for, and the younglings are gonna sort of um, kind of take her place in the show as as the sort of younger character, you know, younger characters in, in counterpoint to the older Jedi in the show. Um, and yeah, he, I mean, yeah, Hondo's terrifying in this. <laughs> I'd kind of forgotten when I sat down to watch it how you know what a sort of character, what a turn in his character it is that you know he he is not the comedy villain in previous episodes, but mm-hmm. he certainly, um, he's certainly kind of, I'm trying to think of a comparable character. And I, I almost want to say Watto in the, <laughs> okay. in the, he, in the, you know, he'll do anything for money, mm-hmm. but like, what do you think? Well, he, he'll do anything, but there will be a line because he's a, you know, he's a humorous character. And so yeah. it, it would be very strange if he suddenly murdered Anakin or his mother <laughs> or something like that. Whereas Hondo. That would have been a totally different movie. <laughs> it would have been a totally different movie and slightly ruined Star Wars. <laughs> um, you thought Darth so, Vader was the ultimate villain in Star Wars. No, no, no. It was Watto. It was Watto, of course. No, um, I am your father. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, to go from that sort of, um, you know, because we, we did a, a short story in the magazine and it was, um, you know, it, it was uh, it, it was all about Hondo. It wasn't all about this at all, sorry. It started <laughs> off with Hondo... I think he had his toenails painted okay. or something. He was or or a manicure on his toenails or something. There was some, there was some, you know, because it, 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 it's a kind of a funny thing. The sure. last thing you'd expect yeah. a seasoned pirate, <laughs> you know, having a pedicure. I think it was a pedicure, toenails painted, what am I saying? Okay. Um, <laughs> and so it sort of, 
yeah, I mean, it, it, the perception is he's quite a light character, that he's not a big bad, that he's not, you know, he isn't Grievous or Dooku or, or Sidious. He, he's that kind of, like I say, like Watto, like he, he, he'll cause trouble for the heroes, but there's no, you know, they're not in that much danger because the guy's greedy and he'll get, you know, he, he'll sort of, he won't go to such great lengths. So in this episode, when he does, it's quite a shock. Yeah. Um, and I don't think we see anything quite as brutal as the sort of stuff he gets up to. Like, like you say, the torture of Ahsoka and, and this, there really is a sense of despair when you get towards the end of this episode that, wow, that's, that's, you know, that whole thing of, you know, wanting to make a profit by killing her and selling her hide. Yeah. Um, that's horrible. <laughs> That's really, yeah. It's poor Ahsoka. It's like, you know, she, she doesn't deserve that. That's, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's, it's very tough. Um, and I'm all for that, by the way, I'm all for that character, you know, that, that thing, because it, it's, you know, he's essentially a pirate. It's essentially a bounty hunter, I guess. Yeah. And therefore, you know, his, his attitudes and his perception of the world and of the universe will change um it's just quite a shock <laughs> he changes quite so dramatically yeah yeah he, he, the, the cool thing about hondo and i th- really think these episodes really um solidified this uh for all for all the reasons you're saying there is he really keeps you guessing you know you yeah. really never know whose side he's going to be on and you know you kind of got that sense uh even as far back as season one and then where he's kind of He's really a bad guy. And then in season two in Bounty Countries, he's the main villain of that episode. Then all of a sudden in the Boba Fett episodes, he's he's this good guy. He's almost he's not I don't know if he was necessarily helping Plo Koon, but he's not hindering him. He's he almost convinces Boba to, to you know, turn himself in. And and then, you know, the next time, you know, the other thing, the other thing to keep in mind is that by the time we actually saw this episode, we had seen two episodes of him being the good guy in Revival, which, um, you know, was was put at the beginning of season five for some reason. Uh, I guess to keep, pick, pick up on the Darth Maul popularity and all that. Um, and then we also saw him in the Andron arc where he's, you know, he's helping Ahsoka out of a situation. Then to see him in these episodes where he's so, you know, like you said, he's he's going to kill Ahsoka. And, you know, he says he has a, is a buyer who has a special interest in a female Jedi, dead or alive. I mean, that is, that is some dark dialogue for what is the backdoor pilot to a children's show about young <laughs> Jedi. It, it's, it's one of those things that like, you know, I remember when these episodes were, were coming out and people were kind of concerned about the idea of young Jedi. Is this going to be really a really kiddie show? And then you watch these episodes and not only is there, you know, all this stuff with, with Hondo and tormenting Ahsoka and threatening to kill the children. But in the next episode, he's drunk off his ass the whole time. Like he's just <laughs> like, he's having way too much fun. I'm like, this is, this is Yes, this is classic Clone Wars. It's a kids' show, but not a kids' show at all. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was really – he was one of those characters that, that kept you guessing right up until even in these episodes where they, they rescue him and he's the good guy at the end, sort of. You know, he's, he's he helps them or he says he's going to help them and then they get to the slave one. He's ready to, to leave Ahsoka and the other younglings behind and then Katuni somehow <laughs> convinces him to go back for them. It's, he's, he's, he's such a great character in that sense. He's such a wild card. In a way that, 
you know, you're, I'm kind of hard pressed to think of another wild card in, in Star Wars because most of them we tend to know where they stand. I mean, you know, even some of the more independent characters like like Boba Fett or or Singh there or, or Bosk or IG88, they tend to be bad guys like when they show up it's not for a good reason it's never like boba fett shows up like all right we're going to go save a village of people let's do this it's always like boba's here all right i'm here to murder all of the people for that one jewel back there sort of thing it, it's it, and so with hondo you know he can go from okay let's kill all the children to all right i'm going to help everybody escape just like that, just on a dime. And I, I think that's a really cool character to have in Star Wars. Mm. Uh, but let's talk a little bit more about the younglings and they, how they go from, you know, they, they contact Master Kenobi and, you know, he tells them, you know, don't move, stay where you are. Um, of course, they, they don't listen to him. They, <laughs> they, uh, classic Star Wars, you don't listen to the mentors in Star Wars. Never. Nobody ever does. Uh, Luke never did. Anakin never did. And it worked out fine for them. <laughs> Sort of. Maybe for Luke. Not so much for Anakin. Um, but they decide to go on this, this journey themselves. Um, and they meet the, uh, the circus scene. And this is one of those scenes where you kind of describe it to people. At least for me, it's like, yeah, it's like they meet the circus and then you go, that sounds really bad. And then you see it <laughs> and it's, it, it makes perfect sense. And it shows how well the, uh, how, how the show was able to pull this off in such a really cool fashion and, uh, to just to, you know, the, the, the skills of these younglings that they were able to one think on their feet that like, Oh yeah, we could be acrobats. We can sort of do this and, and, and to, to be a part of that. And, uh, Prigo, the, the Doug there played by, by Stephen Stanton, that, that guy was hilarious as well. This, the, the, these episodes for as dark as they were, they were able to find a counterbalance in comedy so well. And I think that that whole sequence, uh, really demonstrated that. But, but Kieran, what, what'd you think of the, uh, the circus sequence? Yeah, it was it was very very entertaining. I have to say, it reminded me of the circus that we have seen in A Bug's Life. If everyone's seen that film, mm-hmm. there, um, it really reminded me of that Pixar film. The idea you have this like uh, this uh, rabble band of of really yeah, a, a mixture of so many different types of species and acts all coming together for this circus. You know, you had all the different insects in the bug slide, the same way that you've got all of these different, you know, you've got a Gamorian there. Um, you had uh, one of those um, species the that Alina. we saw earlier in season four. The, what were they called? The Alina. The Alina. That's yeah. it, the Alina. Um, and then you, I mean, there's just so many more. And and even the, even the uh, costumes that the children were wear, wearing were reminiscent of the Rancor. One, uh, I think that was Petro who was dressed as the Rancor um, and a Gundark as well. I mean, they, it, it just works so well the way they put it all together that it was still Star Wars-esque. It didn't take you out of it at all. As you said, it could easily do. You put a label of a circus and you think, what? Why, why, why have you got a circus in Star Wars? But it, it just, it, 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 it was the Star Wars carnival personified and it just worked so, so well. I loved seeing Priego as the, as the leader of this gang. Uh, you know, and he, and, and, I mean, he wasn't, a cruel or a master at all really he was trying to stop the kids from joining because he didn't want them to have to face off the the pirates gang you know hondo had said when they uh priego and hondo speak for the first time on screen that you know oh it's, it's, 
it's uh, courageous of you to show up after I had to uh, <laughs> cut up, cut the heads off of your last take because it was it was dire, and you're thinking, oh my goodness me, I, you know, and again putting Honda in that equally dark light as well. I think it, uh, there's a juxtaposition for you. Um, yeah. I think that um, yeah, that that whole uh, circusy was was so comical, so funny. I loved it, and it was it, it worked. It was so humorous as well because of Hondo in that scene when he is so intoxicated. And he's, he's, I mean, I've got some great lines here, which I want to say at the end with relation to the quote sections. So I won't say any of them now, but just how it all worked as a ploy, really, to, to free Ahsoka was just brilliant. And as, as we already spoken about earlier, it just shows how the Jedi younglings are really able to adapt and, and accustom themselves to the environment that they find themselves befallen in. And they're still able to find a resolution regardless based on the tools which have been handed to them really yeah. so J- jonathan i'll ask you we'll throw it to you now then what, what did you make of the the star wars circus <laughs> <laughs> well, um again you you kind of hear like oh there's a, they you know get into dis- disguise in the circus and you think how are they going to pull that off how are they going to make that fit into the star wars universe and then you see it and it works perfectly <laughs> And it's brilliant, and it's sweet, and it's funny, and and it on a character level, it's exactly what they would do. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I completely. Um, I saw some images of it before the the show aired, and I was like, I was like, yeah, I can see how this is going to work. This, do- it, it, it is really good, and of course, you know. Jedi as circus performers, um, why not? Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I know I absolutely, I absolutely love that. And again, why can't we have toys of them in their little circus <laughs> outfits? Yeah, they have some, some variant figures, some, some chase yeah. chase packs. Yeah, it'd be great. Yeah. Be great. We need this. Is why that this needs to be a, its own series, just so they can get their uh, get their action figures finally. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, it, uh, one more thing I, I want to bring up, and, and it, it's uh, it's from the final episode. You know, when Grievous shows up, and he and we see Grievous versus Ahsoka round two, and this is a, a fight we haven't seen since really the early early days of the Clone Wars, back in the uh, Duel of the Droids episode, and. I, and I really like the way that the show did this because you get to see how much Ahsoka has grown and that she's able to hold her own much better against Grievous. But at the same time, you still see that she's still uh, a Jedi apprentice. She's still not a master. It's, she did, she's, she's still ultimately, I mean, maybe if the fight had kept going, she would have been able to, to take down Grievous. But, uh, you know, when she left the fight, Grievous had the upper hand. At least I think, I think, I think it played out that way, which, you know, it shows, you know, you compare that to when, uh, you know, Kit Fisto fights Grievous or any of the multiple times that Obi-Wan fights Grievous where it's a lot closer and usually the Jedi wind up with the upper hand. Usually. I mean, this episode is an, as an or the, this arc is an example of a time where Grievous kind of bested Obi-Wan. Um, uh, but I think they pulled that off really well. So I'll throw it to you, Jonathan. What did you think of, uh, of Ahsoka versus Grievous round two? Everybody bets Obi Wan. Um, <laughs> he, he's oh, overrated Jedi. But oh, anyway, oh. Um, no, no, I don't really mean that. I love Obi Wan. He's one of my favorites. But yeah. whenever there's a lightsaber battle, he seems to. I mean, he's okay. He wins. He wins a big one. But yes. 
he tends to be like throughout the prequels he's he's the first guy to be disarmed and knocked <laughs> over and it's like, oh come on anyway um uh um yeah ahsoka versus grievous I, I thought she held her own against grievous in their first encounter really well i thought that was quite surprising mm-hmm. in a way but then of course she's a jedi in it so it sort of fits um Although Obi Wan always seems to struggle a little bit against Grievous <laughs> in the Clone Wars, so yeah, um, I, yeah, I kind of like that. I like that she's, um, you know, she, she's matured and that she's a little bit better. And is there a chance she could beat Grievous? Maybe, maybe. I'd like to think so. Um, I mean, she takes his hand off in the. Is that right? She takes his hand off in the. One of the earlier episodes? Yes, I, I believe so. Yeah. It's, it's been a while since we've talked about that one. Yeah, yeah. I know. It seems like so long ago, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's 2000. Yeah. Well, it is. I mean, it's, it's, well, that must have come out in 2008, 2009, which yeah. kind of feels like yesterday, but also was a really long time ago. It was. Wow. Um, so, yeah. So she she's sort of more than capable of, of facing him. I mean, I think with Grievous, there's a sense that all of the Jedi should be capable of mm-hmm. at least holding their own against him because he's not a Jedi. He's he's just got more lightsabers than anyone else. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's I think um, it, it's great to see a rematch between those two, and I love how snarky she is to him. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, she's she's not afraid. She's <laughs> she's kind of treats him with the contempt he deserves, and it, it's kind of nice. I like that. Yeah, and, and it was also it was also nice to see somebody else other than Obi Wan take on Grievous because I mean we saw you know we saw back in season one Kifisto take him on and and, and I, I guess Adi, or um, uh, Eth Koth had a had a showdown with Grievous but for a while there it seemed like the only person who ever fought Grievous was Obi Wan and so it was kind of cool to get get some get another perspective on on that duel and get a different character with a different style in there but uh, but Kieran what was your take on uh, Grievous versus Ahsoka? I really, really enjoyed that fight there uh, in terms of visually, but also in terms of what you guys have discussed, really showcasing the growth of Ahsoka as a, as a Jedi Force user, as a lightsaber wielder. And what we really learn, I think, from the fight, at least, is that she's far more capable in herself in being able to at least check and and really curb the onslaught of uh, a cyborg as as, you know, as as huge and titanic as General Grievous. I mean, of course, you see Kit Fisto in season one seems to best him relatively relatively easily, but uh, you know Grievous in this particular arc, and as what we've seen already in season four of the Massacre episode, has shown that he is a he is a capable fighter, and and for Ahsoka to stand up as well as she did. And really, she voluntarily evacuated the scene there. I think the difference with with this episode and what we see in season one is the fact that uh, Ahsoka's mastery of her own skills and and, and talents are on show uh, are on show in this uh, in this particular arc and episode. In in that Jewel of the Droids episode, she's fleeing for her life. You know, General Grievous has got her by the throat. You know, and and she manages just to escape to just to escape by the skin of her teeth. Whereas in this one, 
the main reason um, and the main agenda for leaving is to save the younglings and to make sure she's there leading them, showing that uh, empathy towards them, that affinity. Um, I think that if they weren't there, she would have continued to fight Grievous, and who knows where the battle would have led. It's really, really interesting to see that fight in the context, really, of of actually measuring and quantifying how far Ahsoka has grown, not just as an individual on a on a personality level, on a confidence level, but also just in terms of a skill level. That she's no longer just the padded one; she's really emerging into the status and position of a Jedi Knight. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I, I really like that point that you know if if the younglings hadn't hadn't have been there, if, if she had have stayed and, and fought Grievous, who knows how it would have turned out. But I I, I almost wonder. Uh, it, it's probably a good thing that the younglings were there because as, as soon as uh, the the slave one was taking off there, uh, the the droid army showed up and, and you know that's Grievous's move. He'll he'll you know fight fight the Jedi until he can get his back up there and then you know he'll overwhelm them with numbers, which is kind of what he does with lightsabers in general. I mean that's how he holds his own in the fight. And so maybe maybe Ahsoka would have beat him, but then well the entire droid army may have taken her down. Uh, so it it probably. Maybe for the best that the that the younglings were there. Uh, so, is, is there anything else you guys want to bring up about these episodes, or, or shall we uh, transition into our uh, favorite quotes? I, I've just got one thing that I want to bring up, actually, and, it, it. and it's speculation linked on to Star Wars Episode Seven, which I think is Ooh. actually quite appropriate to discuss <laughs> at this point. In this arc, in the Gathering episode, we see the. The, uh, the tangible and 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 and, and visible, uh, I guess, I guess, yeah, the, the 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 actual setting of a Jedi temple is what I'm trying to say. So we see another Jedi temple. We've seen one already in the in the Avron system, one on Lothal as well in Star Wars Rebels, and I'm I'm just curious to get your guys' opinions on whether this could be a way to actually. Um, to 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 actually have the Jedi return, do you think it's really a method that J.J. Abrams and 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 the cast and crew members of Episode Seven may have considered or will use in really reasserting the notion that the Jedi have returned, the forces awaken once again, or maybe used by the Sith? I don't know. Do you think the Jedi Temple, what I'm trying to say, the concept of a Jedi Temple will be utilized in the sequel trilogy? That's a, it, that's an interesting idea. You know, they have been, there has been a little bit more of a focus placed on the fact that there are other Jedi Temples out there than, you know, just the Jedi Temple on Coruscant. So you, you do kind of have this, uh, this sense that perhaps there is something, uh, in the, uh, you know, that, that's being thought about behind the scenes that could involve there being multiple Jedi temples. Uh, but as for how it relates to, to the sequel trilogy, um, I could see it being, you know, the idea of a Jedi temple possibly being a plot point in a movie. Um, but my, my own speculation about, about the sequels is that we won't see any sort of formal Jedi order. Um, and if there are Jedi, at all at that point it will be very uh you know very much more monk-like much more uh just a few here and there scattered about and it's a it's a small order that sort of works almost from the shadows um in, in a way that you know is very different from what we saw in the prequels where they were 
you know, basically just an, another arm of the, of the Republic. Uh, and that's, that's sort of my take on, on that. But, but Jonathan, do you, do you, do you care to speculate on, on this? I, I wouldn't know where to start. <laughs> I, I really, I have no idea. I, I love the fact we don't know what's coming yeah. up. And, um, I think that's, that's brilliant. And, oh, look, if there's a chance that they'll bring back any of these characters and that we'll get some of the bloody action figures at last, <laughs> I'd be very, very pleased. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is like, it, it is fun sometimes just to, to not know. I, you know, you, you mentioned that, you know, with, with, with Huang and, 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 you know, the, I think that's best summed up with that, that fight with his final line where he sort of references the fact that Yoda's, adventure to get his lightsaber crystal was was quite something and you know on the one hand i'm like okay let's keep that a mystery let's just like that can be something we just always wonder about we always think about but at the same time i'm like i really want to know that story somebody tell me that story (laughs) it's it's it's, you know it's always finding that that balance in in star wars And, and and like you said we are in this kind of cool era where there's so much that is unknown and, and, you know, it, it will start to get a sense of the, of the bigger picture, you know, December 18th, 2015, but it, it's still such a ways away and we're still kind of wondering and, and trying to, to, you know, put pieces together from, from little, little bits of speculation and, and little throw, almost throwaway bits of, of, uh, of TV episodes. And, and, you know, it's probably, <laughs> it's probably all for naught. I, I could see a lot of the speculation that, that gets really hardcore into some of the more, um, uh, spinoff type stuff like TV shows and, and, and books and stuff, not playing into, uh, the, the new films in any, in any way or any significant way but at the same time there's always that thought that you know they they are doing everything for a reason and that <laughs> that reason may be i'm not saying it is i have no idea uh it may be because there's something bigger in the works but but yeah it you know we always say this uh on this show and, and on the star wars underworld podcast you know it's, it's it's never been a better time to be a star wars fan uh, but let's let's jump into our, our favorite quotes or, or favorite moments or, or or just anything from these episodes that that we want to single out as being, you know, just a a, a great moment or a great bit of dialogue. And so, Kieran, uh, since this is your favorite section, I will throw it to you first. Uh, favorite quotes or, or moments from uh, the Younglings arc? Okay, I've got I've got one from a test of strength here, and it's it's at the beginning with the introduction of Professor Hu Yang, and Gennady says, "But he's a droid." You expect us to learn from a droid? And then Professor Hu Yang says his spiel, and he goes right, his last line when he's speaking to her says, then I suggest you listen and learn before you ask a question this droid cannot answer. And I just, you know, that, that kind of, that, that wise arrogance really from uh, Hu Yang, which is reminiscent, I think, of the Doctor as well. It just works so well in that episode. And um, yeah, some great lines from Professor Hu Yang once again. Yeah, absolutely. And Jonathan, do you have a, a favorite line or a favorite uh, favorite moments from from these episodes? Oh boy. Um, well, it's difficult because they're all. It's all so brilliantly yeah. done. I mean, it, it's um, so fantastic. But Professor Hu Yang has. Um, it's funny, Professor Hu Yang. I never got Doctor Doctor <laughs> Who, Professor Who. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> Oh, I just slapped myself on the head for that. Um, I bet, yeah, oh, that's so clever. Oh wow! Anyway, I, I, I um, missed. I completely missed the, the the who part. I got the the professor, doctor. They buy it. I missed yeah. the who part. That's I, that's good. Yeah. 
Nice. Clever writer, um, yeah. <laughs> it's like a sort of whole fanboy, fanboy implosion going on here right now. Yeah. Anyway, um, so, no, I, I love the line where he sees them and he says, these are them, I swear they get younger every expedition, <laughs> which I just love because he is like, he's he's an old droid. He's yeah. like an old person. He's, you know, And I love that idea of, it. it's like sort of, you know, my... my my mum will always, you know, see the policeman. He goes, "Oh, they're getting younger every, you know, they're always <laughs> looking younger." These policemen, they, yeah. Um, and <laughs> I think that's, I think that's such a such a funny line. Um, yeah, that's it. That, yeah, it's 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 kind of a, a mom line. My, my when I was in high school, my mom went to the, uh, you know, the you know parent teacher introductions night. And she comes back. She's like, "Why? I th- these teachers all look like they should be in high school. They shouldn't be teaching. Where are all the old people? I'm like th- these, are, yeah. these are the teachers now. It's, I don't know. Yeah, it's, that's a but yeah, great stuff from Huang. I'll, I'll, I'll round it out, out with another another Huang <laughs> uh, <laughs> line. Uh, it's when he, he faces off with that pirate and he says, uh, "How dare you? I've lived on this ship." A thousand years and never once lost a fight and I'm not about to start today. And then as you said, he just goes crazy on him without a head, without his arms, and he and he beats him. Uh no problems. Uh and Kieran, I know you, you often pick out several, so I'll throw it back over to you if you have another one. <laughs> oh, I've got I've got two here that I'll choose. One from, from Bound for Rescue, which is Hondo and Aka. He and Huyang in this I'll just have yeah. some amazing lines. And it's it's when he's intoxicated and Petro invites him up to come and dance and he says, I may not be as young as I once was, but I'm older. And he does this laugh, and I thought that was just great, great voice work, once again, from Jim Cummings. Yeah, and in the final one... a theme I'm, among these, these quotes here. It's, it's all about old. It's all about being old or being young. Yeah. <laughs> and in the final one I've got is from A Necessary Bond, when it's Obi-Wan and Hondo talking for the last time, and, and Hondo says, oh, I was staging a rescue. And Obi-Wan says, so you were staging a rescue, not attempting to hijack a starship. And Hondo says, the thanklessness, what an accusation. I am gone, I will send you my bill. It's just another great one once again from Hondo and Obi-Wan. I mean, that the banter that they have in that revival episode is on par as well. I think they just have some great dialogue between the, between the two of them, the dynamics between the two characters. Yeah, yeah. Jonathan, any, any other moments you'd like to single out? Oh, wow. Well, I, to be honest, the, the thing I'd like to single out is, is the writing of this story arc, yeah. which is... Um, was written by the head writer at the time, uh, Christian Taylor, who I just thought was, he got Star Wars so well. Yeah, he, you know, let's not forget that the breadth of stuff that he he did for the show. Yeah, he did the Mortis um, episodes, and to do the Mortis episodes and and the, the Yoda story episodes. and and, and the, yeah uh, and the um, younglings mm-hmm. story arc. Two very different kinds of stories. In fact, polar opposites, really, in terms of, of you know, you, you would never sort of uh, say to, you know, little kids, yeah, the Mortis, you know, <laughs> the Mortis shows. Cause you, yeah, I, I, in fact, I'd love to know what little kids made of that particular yeah. story arc because it, it baffled me as well. I loved it, <laughs> but I, I couldn't, uh, yeah, I, I kind of had to watch it about 12 times to really get it. Um <laughs> And so, you know, a, a really great writer, and yeah, he he, he did. Um, so he did he did those two very different 
story arcs, which, uh, yeah, it's an absolute testament. And of course, he's British, so. Yes. We <laughs> <laughs> um, also, you also look at his CV. I mean, he did the A Friend in Need episode. He did the Clovis arc and the final arc as well, um, uh, in the bonus content episodes with Yoda. Yeah. I mean, all of them on point. Uh, it's, it's a great point to raise there, Dom. Um, Tommy, or both of you oh, well. and Jonathan, <laughs> but mainly Jonathan. <laughs> yeah, uh, and uh, I'll just uh, quickly single out two more uh, great lines that I thought. But I, I absolutely agree about Christian Taylor; just a phenomenal, phenomenal writer. Uh, and and he, yeah, he turned in some of the best episodes and some of the most diverse episodes in terms of of, of story and and and. And, and storytelling and, and all all kinds of great stuff from him. But uh, for for great lines that he wrote, um, uh, there was a, a great line between him, uh, between <laughs> yeah, he was in the episode between Ahsoka and Hondo, uh, where where Ahsoka says, "If you don't let me go, you'll wish you'd been born a protocol droid." And Hondo says, "Sometimes I wish you'd do anyways," which I just thought was a, a great uh. little uh, uh, perfect response from from a from a character. Again, never quite know what he's going to say next. Um, and then a, 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 a bit that really showed Ahsoka's uh, wiseness in these episodes uh, when she was talking with, with Petro and they're in the, uh, the ventilation shafts. Um, and, and Petro says, uh, you know, we should stand uh, – hiding is for cowards. We should stand and fight. And Ahsoka says, oh, we're going to fight, just not in the way we expect. It was kind, That's kind of a, a fun twist on the, uh, you know, the Obi-Wan line. You know, there are alternatives to fighting. And, and I thought that that was an, an excellent sort of twist to put on – those on that line and that idea right so that is going to wrap things up for this episode thank you everybody for listening thank you jonathan for for stopping by and joining us oh thank Uh, you yeah and uh but before we go it's time for final thoughts and score out of 10 so jonathan since you are the guest i will throw it over to you uh for final thoughts on this these episodes and uh score out of 10 It's a 10. This is brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Um, I'm tempted to take a point off for the lack of action figures produced. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm not a big Star Wars action figure guy, but I just feel like such a missed opportunity. Yeah, see something about this. Um, but yeah, but um, no, just, just magic. Um, great sort of legacy building stuff in terms of going, you know, looking at how the Jedi is. Um, the younglings, you know, lightsabers are created, um, and and Doctor Who. Yes. What more could you want? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and Kieran, uh, final thoughts to score out of ten. Final thoughts on this youngling arc. Absolutely fantastic, phenomenal arc. Up there with the best in the series. It's certainly become an iconic and classic arc in the history of. As I said, not just a Clone Wars, but Star Wars, period. And I mean, you, look, you have to look at, of course, we said the voice work, the writing, but also the score. I think the score for these episodes was absolutely incredible as well. Um, just had that particularly uh, Star Wars-esque feel towards it with the Force theme that would surface net, net, uh, now and then in the particular uh, iconic and, and poignant moments in these episodes. So I think that we have to give a lot of credit there to, of course, the, the, the score writer, which was, uh, Kevin, 
uh, oh my goodness me, I've forgotten his name briefly. Kevin Kleiner, there we go. It came back to me straight away. But, uh, I mean, John Williams Eskin, fantastic, absolutely fantastic. And on, on top of that, I think the, the, the character development that we see of Ahsoka Tano, the younglings, and the introduction of new characters such as Hu Yang was just absolutely incredible. Uh, it couldn't have been written any better. The dynamics between the two, the synergy of, between the characters was just on point, on point. And, I think really rounds off perfect, perfect four episodes. So yeah, I'm with Jonathan. Ten out of ten. Ten out of ten. So we've got two tens out of ten, and uh, and yeah, I'll, I'll continue. It'll get a, a perfect thirty out of thirty from this uh, from this panel for ten out of ten for me. Absolutely, just like you guys have said, the magic of these episodes, the dynamics between the characters. I loved seeing Ahsoka in a leadership role, and uh, little little did we know it's kind of a a little glimpse into what we may be seeing in the future from her as as a leader and, and training these young potential Jedi in the ways of the Force and and and, and yeah, just so much great stuff. I loved seeing Yoda uh, as the mysterious yet wise uh, Jedi Master in these episodes. You know that whole thing with the door. I mean, that was so Yoda to to you know play it up as if it's this like horrible you'll be trapped for days when really you can break through it no problem. I thought that was really just kind of classic Yoda in a way, and, and I thought that was great. Ahsoka was great. Uh, Professor Huang so good. That whole episode of A Test of Strength, as I said, it's, it's one of my favorites. I love the zero gravity fight in there. I thought that was really cool. I love the the almost Home Alone esque references when they use the uh, the training droids to take down the pirates. I. I just think there's so much good stuff in there and it really is one of my favorites from the series um and then you know it was cool to see them pick up a, a plot line from season one that was teased all the way back then when when uh it was implied that dooku would seek revenge against hondo for what he did to him for keeping him hostage and that was picked up we saw grievous take on hondo and and his uh his horde of pirates uh in response to that so yeah absolutely just a fantastic arc with so many great quotable moments as we talked about so many great uh moments that gave us insight into things in the star wars galaxy that we'd only ever thought about we never really had experienced uh seeing them on screen like the lightsaber building and and the gathering and all that so yeah just a, a perfect 10 out of 10 so that will wrap things up. Uh, again, thank you everybody for listening. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us, man. And, uh, where can people keep up with you if they are so inclined? Ah, oh, you always ask this and I always <laughs> forget my Twitter. Ah, oh, no, hang on. You can look, come and say hello on Twitter. Um, and you can follow Star Wars Insider. If you just type in Star Wars Insider, I think it comes up. We're also on Facebook. Um, I'm there and I'm, ah, uh, Oh, well, don't play all of this. Just edit it out so it sounds like I seamlessly know the answer to the question. It's it's here. Your Twitter Twitter handle here. I've got this for you. you. It's uh, at (laughs) jdog underscore Wilkins. That's right. There we go. Well, I never tweet myself, so why would I know my Twitter (laughs) handle? Oh, dear. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, come and say hello and... um, all that good stuff yeah and uh we're looking forward to seeing you in a few weeks at star wars celebration so i'm celebrating a few weeks time it's so exciting so close yeah and and uh and insider you guys are actually doing a panel at celebration on the friday uh from 6 30 till 7 30 on the fan stage so everybody uh, go check that out go say hi to jonathan tell him you heard him you heard him here 
do that. <laughs> that'll yeah, just that'll be do good that. for do that'll that. be good for, for, for our ego, for Kieran and my ego. <laughs> <laughs> come, and come and tell us like come and tell us what you like about the magazine, what you don't like, what you want to see in the magazine, what you don't want to see in the magazine, all that sort of stuff. We're we're always keen to hear. So um, we'll try and do something about it, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. And and I just have to say, I just have to compliment you here about the magazine because it is so good. I, I look forward to it every every issue. It is it, like I look for it. I sit down and read it cover to cover. I really enjoy it. You guys do such a great job there. So everybody should uh, should subscribe if you're not already. Oh, uh, thank you. Yeah. And uh, and Kieran, do you want to let the people know what is coming up on Expression FM this week? Uh, Expression FM, we're taking the month off because ah, yes, the I term has about ended, that. and that means that sadly no broadcast will be taking place. And on top of that, we are now renovating the studio, which means that <laughs> we're doing a load of pa- a lot of painting, basically, and, and taking up carpets. This doesn't sound as fun as I usually <laughs> sound when I talk about Expression because it's not. I mean, I'm not a DIY man, so I, I'm not really feeling that infused about that job. But point is, we'll be back at around the end of April time and that's for me that's fantastic because it means I can concentrate all of my efforts in the coming month on Star Wars Celebration which is coming up in about two and a half weeks now can't believe it can't believe it so everyone get down to Star Wars Celebration that's what I would say but in terms of Expression FM the usual place that you can get involved is via Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at Expression FM. Also, we, have a, we also have a Facebook page. That's www.facebook.com. And when we are at facebook.com slash Expression FM, not just facebook.com. We don't own Facebook. And then finally, uh, our website, which you can usually listen to us broadcast via is www.expression.fm and now over to you Dominic I believe you have your own other podcast yeah. that you might want to disclose to the listeners yeah so I, <laughs> as always want to remind you to keep checking out the Star Wars Underworld podcast recorded live every Thursday night at 9pm Eastern on channel 1138.com and then released the next day uh, on iTunes, Stitchers, all the places you usually get uh, your podcast last week's episode was a lot of fun we were catching up on some news and we also uh, was we also played my interview with a uh, Boba Fett stunt actor, Dickie Beer from Toronto Comic Con. That was a lot of fun. Dickie Beer, such a cool guy, such a really cool guy with a really awesome resume of amazing films that he's worked on and amazing stunts that he's done, not only in Star Wars, but in, in so many other movies. So you definitely want to check that out. And you'll want to check out this episode coming up because Kieran and uh, possibly a few other people will be joining us to talk about Star Wars Celebration, to share some memories from Celebration's past as we get ready for Star Wars Celebration Anaheim in just a uh, little over uh, well, just a little over two weeks' time. Uh, also, speaking of celebration, if you're going to be there, make sure you come down to the Star Wars Underworld podcast live on the podcast stage, 10.30 a.m. on Saturday. Yes, that is right after the 501st bash. Um, but, you know, you have a few hours to sleep it off. So you come on down <laughs> and, and join us. We'll be giving away some prizes. We want to talk to some listeners. It's going to be a lot of fun. So definitely check I know, out. I know, I know what I'll be sleeping on Friday night. I'll tell you that much now. Give me, where's that room address? In the podcast stage. <laughs> just, wake, just wake up in the podcast stage when we get started. Yeah, exactly. And uh, also on the celebration schedule, this is pretty cool for uh, for Clone Wars fans. On uh, what time? On, it's on Thursday. 
uh, at about uh, 3.30 on the on the digital stage. There's the Untold Clone Wars. So that's going to be Dave Filoni and Pablo Hidalgo looking at some of the stories from the Clone Wars that never got told. So that's definitely something that uh, if you're listening to this show, you'll probably want to check out. So again, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter between shows, uh, the show is at TCW Strikes Back. I'm at Dominic J25. Kieran is at CDuggan6. And Jonathan is at JDog underscore Wilkins. <laughs> Um, you can, <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> you can like us on Facebook just by searching for the Clone Wars Strikes Back. If you want to keep a little Clone Wars in your news feed, that is the page to like. Uh, you can also send us an email like Andrew did, uh, Clone Wars Strikes Back at gmail.com. Uh, next up is the, uh, well, the Colonel Mieber Gascon Droids arc from season five. So that'll be a, an interesting one to talk about. Not sure when we're going to, uh, to get to that with celebration coming up, but, uh, we will we will be talking about it. You know, we're in we're approaching the the home stretch on the Clone Wars here. It's it's kind of sad, uh, but there's still so much great stuff that to talk about that you can't get too sad yet. Uh, and again, uh, if you want to uh, be sure to subscribe to the Star Wars Underworld on iTunes, that's where you'll get this show and the Star Wars Underworld podcast. Uh, both shows in the same feed. You get two shows for the price of one, and that price is absolutely free. So be sure to subscribe there and on Stitcher. You can leave us reviews. We always appreciate those and between uh and between shows be sure to hit up starwarsunderworld.com for all the latest breaking star wars news including episode 7 rebels rogue one uh any more clone war stories that could be out there battlefront comics novels if they ever get around to making those younglings figures we will report on it there um every all everything star wars you could ask for starwarsunderworld.com so again thank you everybody for listening and may the force be with you <laughs>